Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. And um, I just want to thank you for your continued support. Um, my van continues to get me from place to place, and I'm very pleased with it. And uh, got the body work done for my recent accident this past, or a couple weeks ago. So that's all taken care of, so I appreciate your prayers as far as that is concerned and your continued support. Uh, definitely a big help to me and to my family and also to my ministry as I seek to continue to reach more people for the Lord in 2017. So as we continue in our study in the book of Luke, we're going to finish or rolling chapter 18 today. So Luke chapter 18, verse 26. And it's interesting that our brother Mike would um, begin today by talking about brother Andrew because we're going to talk a little bit about the cost and rewards of discipleship. If you're taking notes, that's kind of the perspective um, that I'm taking and drawing out of this passage is the cost and rewards of discipleship. And the first point of that is God can save anyone and will reward those who serve him. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit and read um, Luke, start with Luke 18.24, um, actually, to give us some context. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, sorrowful, I can't say that word, but we know what it is. He, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come. Life everlasting. Okay, so Jesus basically is setting up the impossibility from man's perspective of salvation. It's impossible for us to have any major part in our own salvation. You know, there's, there's a big debate Hopefully it's not a huge debate, but there seems to be a debate ongoing in Christianity year after year about between predestination and election. And we're not going to get bogged down in that today, but I just wanted to say that I think it's clear from Scripture uh, that, the, that predestination and free will, which is what I meant to say, are both part of the salvation experience. Because Jesus says, unless the Father draws you to me, you will not come to me. It says in Romans, no man 
seeks after God. There is none righteous, no, not one. No man seeks after God. But then Jesus also says, whosoever will may come. He also says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there is an action of coming to him. And yet he says, no man comes to me except the Father draws me. So in some divine way, which we cannot fully comprehend, both of these things exist together. We talk about coexist, and usually we're talking about it in a negative connotation of different religions coexisting. But these two truths of predestination and free will, they do coexist together to make a perfect whole in the process of salvation. But Jesus says um, to them that anything is possible with God so that even a rich man can come to know the Lord. As we read about the rich man previously, we saw last time that the issue with the rich man was not his possessions. The issue with the rich man was the priority that his possessions had in his heart. It's said in another passage that Jesus didn't need anyone to show him the hearts of man because he knew their hearts. And so when he is addressing this rich man, he's not saying to all of us, go and sell everything you have and give it away. No, he is saying to us, get rid of the things that are ahead of me in your heart. You know, it's kind of interesting, but as a disabled American, as a disabled person on planet Earth, I have come to rely greatly on technology of various kinds. And when I receive my next, whatever my latest technological gadget is, I will often pray and ask God to help me to use it for His glory. Now, it's technology, it's not important in the grand scheme of things, but that's just one way that I try to make sure that my priorities are correct as I use this assistive technology. Because, quite frankly, um, brothers and sisters, I'm very grateful to have been born in this time in history when these technological advances exist because I'm able to be much more productive than I would have been otherwise. I'm not a beggar on the street. Um, I work, I have, you know, I work three jobs. I keep busy. I do that because technology allows me to do that. And so I'm very grateful for that. But at the same time, it requires a proper perspective. And then Peter says, <clears throat> Uh, Peter's always wanted to chime in. I like Peter because I see myself in him. Um, I've often said things and then kind of regretted at least the way that I say them, and Peter is definitely in that vein. Um, but Peter says this. He said, we have left all and followed you. 
And then there is kind of, in my mind, a tricky passage. Because Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. And a lot of people will interpret that, because I've heard people say, well, that means that if I'm married and I have a family, then they know that God comes first, and if I'm a traveling preacher, I'm just going to travel around and preach, and they're going to have to understand that, because God says I'm supposed to leave it all for Him. I don't think that's what this is saying. Because the same God that said this said, Husbands, love your wives and give yourself for them as Christ also laid down his life for the church. The same God that said this said, Fathers, raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So what is he saying? I believe he's saying primarily to those who may not experience these things because of their commitment to the gospel, that they will be rewarded. At this point, I have no children, but God has given me the opportunity to impact 200 children every day when I go to the Potter's House High School. And I actually got the opportunity to speak at their chapel service a month ago, and I told them that I view them as my children that I take very seriously the opportunity to impact them for Jesus Christ. And so, I think that is what he's speaking to. He's not speaking to a neglect of responsibility. If you have chosen to marry, your spouse is your responsibility. And it's one of your primary earthly responsibilities. Obviously, if your spouse tries to get you to do something that is against God then you need to put God first. And if you want to marry well, marry someone who loves God more than they love you. But it does not mean a neglect of responsibility. And I think we needed to be clear on that point. And then he says, Who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting? Now, the way that we look at life, we would tend to say, well, how is that going to come? Does that mean that if I give up all these things that people consider earthly blessings, that I'll have a million dollars in an envelope on my door when I go home alone? No. Because we need a recalibration of what that means. You see, when I was a kid, I used to think that the psalm that said, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I used to think, well, that means that if I, if I trust the Lord and I read the Bible, then I'm going to get this whatever, whatever material possession it was that my little kid mind was thinking of. That's what I'm going to get because I'm delighting in the Lord. But the reality of it is that as I delight in the Lord, my priorities change. The things that I desire change Because he is my delight. And uh, we don't know a whole lot about the apostles, but we do know that Peter was married. And I've read, according to at least one tradition, 
that one of Peter's punishments for serving the Lord and for preaching the gospel was that he watched his wife be crucified before he was. So he was with his wife, as far as we know, throughout this earthly life. So God wasn't saying, give your spouse up for the gospel. This I want to make very clear. But he's also saying that the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. I'm sure we can all think of one person at least that we think there's no possible way they could ever come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know if Peter knew of Saul of Tarsus before he became Paul or not. But can you imagine what the first century church was thinking about Saul of Tarsus? They probably were really scared of him. They probably thought, there's no way this guy's ever going to become a believer. We saw him present at the stoning of Stephen. We saw him there when they dragged Stephen out. We saw him glaring. And we saw him holding the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. There's no way he's going to become a believer. And not only did he become a believer, but eventually he had to rebuke Peter for separating himself from the Gentile believers. And God used Paul mightily as a leader in the church. So that which was impossible with men became possible because God intervened. To such an extent that, Jesus, that Paul met Jesus physically. And that is why he's able to be called an apostle. Because he was taught directly from our Lord. So the next time you think that it would be impossible for so-and-so to be saved, then pray for them. Because you don't know what might happen. I still pray for President Obama, that God would save him. I don't like a lot of what he stands for. I don't like most of what he stands for. But I know that God sent Jesus to die for him just as much. As for me, I know that I need a Savior just as much as he does. I pray the same for President Trump, who is going to take office in just a little under two weeks. There have been some indications that he's at least turning his heart toward the things of God, and I pray that that would be the case. Because God... Has the, his, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he will turn it whithersoever he will. Can we look, as we think about this issue of anyone being in the realm of possibility for salvation, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Jeremiah 32, 17. If someone gets there, they can read it for us. Catch that, even in the Old Testament, they understood there was nothing too hard for God. 
God had already to this point led the children of Israel out of Egypt and he had leveled ten devastating plagues on the people of Egypt. But he had spared the Israelites. He had led them through the wilderness into the promised land. They had all of these experiences to show them there was nothing too hard for God. And yet they doubted, just like we doubt. I doubt. I worry. I'm human. But God is faithful. When we go through trials, it's important for us to ask this question, is anything too hard for you? And on this topic of it being impossible as far as men is concerned for certain people to get to heaven, M.R. Han writes, why God should choose the meanest, basest, most unworthy individuals with absolutely nothing to commend them at all to God except their miserable lost condition and then exalt them to become the sons of God, members of the divine family, and use them for his glory is beyond all reason and human understanding. Yet that is grace. God takes us and he uses us in ways that we couldn't even comprehend because of his grace. There's nothing amazing about me. I'm a normal person. Most people, if they don't know me personally, will probably never know me. I mean, I could be wrong. God could have other plans. But at this point, I know that. But you know what the exciting thing is? I'm known by the King of Kings. My name is written down. And not only my current name is written down, but the Bible says in Revelation that I'm going to get a new name. But the important name that we are all anticipating when he comes back is the name of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will come back as a conquering hero. And he will set things right on heaven and earth. That will happen. The only way to be a part of it is to accept that the only way to get there is through his grace. See, none of us has enough merit. None of us can be good enough we've been adopted we've been given a home we've been given the right to cry Abba Father I think sometimes I don't spend enough time just contemplating how great that is alright so as Jesus is talking to us about everlasting life, then he will go into detail about how he will begin to procure that for us. And for my second section, we talk about Jesus predicting his suffering. 
Luke 18:31-34 Then he said unto them then he took unto him the 12 and said unto them behold we go up to Jerusalem and all things which are written by the prophets concerning the son of man shall be accomplished for he shall be delivered unto the gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on and they shall scourge him and put him to death and the third day he will rise again. Now as a believer, that seems pretty straightforward to me. I'd like to believe that I would believe him and take him at his word if I was standing there. But you know what the 34th verse says? It says, And they understand none of these things, and the saying was hid for them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. He actually would tell them three times about this. And yet, they didn't get it. Matter of fact, when the women went to the tomb after he rose from the dead, they saw it empty, they heard from the angels that he was risen. And, and it says, then, only then, did they remember his words. You know, I always say Thomas gets a bum rap. Because he's like, unless I see with my eyes and feel with my hands, I will not believe. But I think that if Andrew wasn't there, he would have said the same thing. If Peter wasn't there, he definitely would have said the same thing. So I think Thomas gets a bummer out. Because I think any one of those disciples would feel the same way. They watched him die. They, they saw him buried. They, they knew where he was. Peter and John, when they ran to the tomb, they didn't have to stop and ask for directions. They didn't punch it up on their GPS. They knew. There's even one gospel that uses the words when it talks about the women being at the grave when Jesus put it in and said they knew where he was laid. Why did John put that detail in? Because he wanted you to make sure, wanted to make sure that you knew that they didn't go to another tomb and see it empty because it was the wrong tomb. No, they went to the right tomb and it was empty because he was alive. Another thing that comes up when I read passages like that is I'm. I'm reminded of how real suffering is. I've had people say, well, God just wants to bless you if you're a Christian. He doesn't want you to suffer. Well, how did we get to that mentality as believers that we are not supposed to suffer when in fact Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God who did nothing wrong, suffered on our behalf? If the perfect Son of God suffered, how can we expect not to suffer? As a matter of fact, Tim, Paul wrote to Timothy, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that may be persecution from others. Maybe Satan's up there right now. Asking God for permission to touch your body. We know he did that for Job. We also know that Job had the right response. 
The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because nothing happens without going through God's hand. Job even said to his wife when she said, curse God and die. I often wonder why God left Job's wife. <laughs> but he did. And when she said, curse God and die, he said, shall I accept good from the hand of the Lord and not evil? David said that even the evil that God would give him for punishment was full of mercy. Because that's the God that we serve. As we think more about this suffering, can we look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4? This is Paul laying out how Jesus procured our salvation. And it's a familiar passage, but it's worth our consideration this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Therefore, it wasn't enough for Jesus to prick his finger and let the blood drain out and save us that way. He had to die. There was no other way but death. And he suffered because there was joy set before him, it says in Hebrews chapter 12. That when he was done suffering, he could sit down at the right hand of God, having procured us the way to God. And it being a once and for all sacrifice. Once again, it, it, it just boggles the mind to think about what that means. When, when Jesus was praying in John chapter 17, for his disciples before he went to heaven, before he went to the cross, he said, Father, give me the glory that I had with you before the world was. We don't know what, what things were like between God the Father and God the Son before the world was. We just know that they were together before then. And at some point in eternity past, they had this conversation. They said, we know that man is going to fall. We need to have a plan. The Bible says that I was thought of. You were thought of before the foundation of the world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that in the heart of God, before the foundation of the world, you were there. I was there. And when he prayed in John chapter 17, he prayed for us. Because he said, I don't pray for these alone, but for all those who will come to know him because of their words. And that's me. And that's you. He prayed for us that day. And he prays for us now. He intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. 
Another good perspective on suffering comes from Oswald Chambers. Interestingly enough, Oswald Chambers never wrote a book in his life, but his wife knew shorthand, and she wrote every sermon that he ever preached down, and she compiled his works after he passed away. I think he was only like 35 years old when he died. Complications from appendicitis. But because of his wife's care to preserve his legacy, he's known as one of the greatest Christian writers, even though he never wrote anything down. But here's what he said about suffering. He said, Suffering is the heritage of the bad, of the penitent, of the penitent and of the Son of God. Each one ends in the cross. The bad thief is crucified, the penitent penitent thief is crucified and the Son of God is crucified. By these signs we know the widespread heritage of suffering. The thief that was hardened against God, he was crucified and he died that day. The thief that, that chose to serve, chose to turn to God, was crucified and died that day. It wasn't like he accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice and Jesus pulled him off the cross. He died that day. And of course, Jesus, the Son of God, died for us that day. So the next time someone asks you about suffering in this world, maybe you could share with them what Oswald Chambers had to say because I think it's very perceptive. Suffering is the heritage of the bad of the, penitent, of the penitent and of the very Son of God. All right, well, our final section today is Jesus rewarding the faith of a blind man. If you look at Luke 18.35, it says, And it came to pass, as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging, and hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they said unto him, Jesus of Nazareth, pass by, passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, and that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou, what wilt that thou shalt do, what wilt that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight, and following him, glorifying God, and all the people which saw it gave praise to God. Imagine for a moment that you are that blind man. And you hear that the one who can heal you is coming by. And you cry out for him. And the people around you say to be quiet. And you choose to be quiet. That would mean what? That you would stay blind. 
Because the one chance you had passed by. But this blind man doesn't do that. He knows that this is his chance to be saved from his blindness. And I believe even more. Because when Jesus saves someone, he saves them completely. And he will later say, your faith has saved you. And then what does it say after Jesus calls to him? It says that he went to him and Jesus asked him the question, what should I do unto you? And he said, Lord, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved you. And I especially want you to see verse 43, because he says, Immediately he received his sight and followed him. Remember Paul on the Damascus Road when he was confronted by Jesus? What did he say? He said, what will you have me to do? You know, a lot of times in our Western culture, we, we preach the gospel as if you just get all these blessings from trusting Christ and he's going to give and give and give to you. And surely that is true. But I think we also need to remember that we need to talk about the responsibility, the cost of discipleship. That not only are we saying, thank you for what you have done for me, but we are also saying, what do you want me to do for you? For he has a calling for each of us. Romans 2, or, uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for works that he has before ordained, that we should walk in them. He has work for each of us to do. I think we need to remember that as we, we encourage new Christians too because sometimes we get so nervous that they might not truly be Christians that we discourage them in their walk. When the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, was baptized after salvation, it wasn't go through this six-week class so we can figure out if you're really saved. No, Philip said when they saw water, if you believe in your heart, with all your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, you may. And he said he did. And he was baptized, and it says that he went his way rejoicing. And if you read church tradition, you find out that he was a great evangelist for his area of the world. There was no time for baptism class. There was just time to impart the truth and to assist the new believer in responding to it. But that brings us to a final question. Have you trusted Jesus Christ? Have you put aside that which is hindering you so that you can come to know him? and to serve him. It's not in this passage, 
But there's another passage where it talks about a blind man, and this may be the same blind man, or maybe a different one, but whatever the case may be, that blind man, it says he tore away his outer cloak and threw it from him. Why? Because he could run faster without it. Because he could get to Jesus faster without it. And then we see in this passage that he followed Jesus. It wasn't just, thank you for my sight, bye, I never want to see you again. No, it was him following Jesus. But you can't follow him if you don't know him. So my question is, do you know him? Have you trusted him? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto salvation, and for with the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the question is, have you made that decision? The Bible tells us that if you have, then your works will show us that. Your works are not a necessity for salvation, but they are the result. Paul said, I strive to lay hold of him who laid hold of me. That's why the slogan for my ministry is speaking for him who spoke for me. Because one day in 1984, he said to me, Andrew, you are spoken for. I want you to serve me. Now granted, it took me nine years to figure out what that meant in a real way beyond my eternal security and knowing that I had service to do here. I struggled with God. I fought with God. But he won because he always wins. If we can look at Psalm 107.20. Psalm 107.20. And that is truly the testimony of any one of us who have been redeemed. If it wasn't for God, we would be headed for destruction. It is because of God's mercies, as Jeremiah puts it, that we are not consumed every day. I'm just going to close with this illustration and then pray. But William Booth said this the founder of the Salvation Army for those who um, do not know that he said faith and work should travel side by side step answering to step like the legs of men walking first faith and then works and then faith again and then works again until they can scarcely distinguish which is the one and which is the other May that be our approach, our perspective, as we consider the costs and rewards of discipleship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Luke chapter 18. 
And uh, we just thank you that Dr. Luke wrote these things down so that we could study and talk about them together. Lord, I pray your blessings upon everyone in this group. I pray that if, if there's anyone here that does not know you, that you would hound them and hound them and hound them until they bow the knee to you because hell is real and I don't want anyone to go there. Lord, I pray that you would make your face shine upon these people, that you would uh, look favorably upon them, that you would give them peace, and that they would impart that peace to those they come in contact with throughout the week this week. We pray all this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.